I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on something that's just one of my favorite things to teach on. And that is that spiritual Israel is the Gentile church. All through the Bible, the Bible teaches that everything that Israel went through, we go through spiritually. Spiritual circumcision is blood baptism. Circumcision is cutting off the filth of the flesh. And so is blood baptism, is death to the filth of the flesh. It's death to self. A blood baptism was a death. If you'll notice, all of these subjects have to do with the same thing. When you talk about self-denial, that's death to the flesh. Self-denial. Self-denial is death to the flesh. That's spiritual circumcision. When you talk about death to self, death to self, we've talked about that inner and that outer man that Paul speaks of in Romans 7. And he says, With the outer man I serve the law of the flesh. Well, that's what death to self is, is death to the flesh. And then you have an inner man if you're born again, and that inner man is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you. And all the years that you live as a believer, I keep putting these concentric circles in here. Those concentric circles are all about trials and tribulation and persecution and everything that we have to go through to get rid of that outer man and the longer we live this inner man grows and increases it increases over your lifetime and that's the same thing as faith increasing when faith increases then death to self increases faith has to increase in second peter one and five the bible says besides all this give all diligence add to your faith add to faith if faith is death to self and it is then you have to add to death to self death to self Everything that we have to do has to do with our faith increasing, which is death to self increasing, death to the outer man. And that is a blood baptism. That is a spiritual circumcision. And you've got this outer and inner man mentioned in Colossians, the third chapter. Well, in Romans, the seventh chapter, and you got it mentioned in Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. You got this inner and outer man talked about in these chapters, and that outer man has to go out of our lives. You will not willingly get rid of that outer man. Nobody here will. You'll have to go through fire and trials and persecution and people have to hate you and you'll become infamous. First of all, the first thing you'll try to do is fulfill your flesh. That's the first thing all of us do, isn't it? 
I told everybody not all at once. All of us have to do that. We want to fulfill the flesh. I want to be a world famous singer. I want to be a world famous preacher. I want to be a rich real estate mogul. That's not what God had in mind for me. He had this right here in mind for me. If I could go back and live my life over, I wouldn't do any of the things that I've done. None of them. Would you? Has anybody been a big fool in their life besides me? (laughs) I've been the biggest fool that I know of. I was such a stupid man. You know what's really funny? I thought I was real smart. That's what's funny. I thought I really had it together when I was 30 or 31 or 32, and I'd have nothing together. I was seeking the flesh, trying to fulfill the flesh. So everything that we talk about, you have to add to your faith, and it names seven things. That reminds me of the word seven in the Hebrew, Sheba. The queen of Sheba was the queen of seven. And it comes from Shabua, S-H-U-B-A-H. And when you look that up in your concordance, when you look it up in a concordance, it will say, it will say to take an oath. When you look up oath, to take an oath. And you can't take an oath the day you walk down an aisle and say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. That's not when you take an oath. You have to go through all this fire and trial. Then you can take an oath or it says further to take an oath. Then it says two, seven, oneself. You think that's any different seven than this seven things you have to add to your faith? No, it's the same thing. When you add these seven things, starting with virtue... Virtue is enough to add. You you don't know how long it takes to add virtue. And when you look that up in the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, it'll tell you it's the word arete, A-R-E-T-E, and it means maturity. How long does it take you to mature and grow up as a believer? 40 years? 50 years? 60 years? It takes a long time to mature. I've said this so many times. When you, the older you get, you you start off young and innocent, innocent. This is how it works in life. You start young and innocent, and you grow into maturity, or you think it's maturity. And here you are, forty years old. 40, and you think, boy, I'm getting it together now, and then God puts you through so much trial, He has to take you back to being a little kid again. And that's that's when, as you get old, you turn into this little kid, and you're sitting around on a stool as an 83 years old, and people say, he ain't cool like me, I used to be cool like you, I found out cool was really stupid. Cool is when you think you know something, you don't know nothing. Right? Right. So, all this has to happen. Faith has to increase. And I could go through these seven things. Knowledge and patience and all the rest of them. If these things be in you, you'll never fall. 
Take Second Peter 1 and 5 and look at the seven things over and over and over again. The very last thing on the list of the seven things is charity. How long does it take you to walk in charity? Charity is the word agape. Agape was a relationship that kings had for their subjects. They willingly walked in them. Second John 6, this is agape, this is love, that we walk after his commandments. How long does it take you to walk after the commandments of God? It takes forever. Because you want to fight the world until you get old and wore out, until you find out fighting the world is a waste of time. What have I to do to judge those who are outside the church? I have nothing to do with them. What if they mistreat me and do me wrong? Well, you're supposed to let them. Let them, and while you're letting them, get away from them. While you're around them, first of all, you don't need to be around people you don't need to be around. Don't hang out with everybody. Now, we're talking about circumcision. Spiritual circumcision is death to self. It's a blood baptism. Circumcision is cutting off the filth of the flesh. Blood baptism is cutting off the filth of the flesh. Death to self is death to the filth of the flesh. All those things that we wanted when we were young. Spiritual circumcision is cutting off this outer man and it takes a long time to get rid of this guy here God has put me as the old sin goes to hell and back and I, there's things I used to think I wanted and I don't want any of it now now we're talking about us being spiritual Israel and people want to fight that why would God say about us why would he call the Gentile church heavenly Jerusalem the church? Why would he make Jerusalem equal to the church? If we're not Israel, equals the church. Heavenly Jerusalem the church in Hebrews 12. Why would he call us the church Jerusalem? If we're not spiritual Israel, that's crazy to say we're not spiritual Israel. Now, I've been talking to you about, I want to talk to you about all these various things that equals Israel. Atonement. I'm going to talk to you about atonement. Atonement on the Day of Atonement. I've been talking to you about why are we involved in a spiritual Passover? with the Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb, according to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, fifth chapter, even Christ, our Passover lamb, is crucified for us. That's Jesus. And he's talking to a church at Corinth, a Gentile church. Why would he say the Gentile church's Passover lamb is Jesus if, they, if it has nothing to do with being Jews? 
I don't think most of you know how many people in the world resent spiritual Israel. They call that replacement theology. Well, no, 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 no. I didn't replace anything. I have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him in love. I've been chosen to be a spiritual Jew from time immemorial. So have you if you're a believer. Now, why did God choose Pentecost? Pentecost comes from the word pent. A pentagram is five-pointed star. One, two, three, four, five. That's a pentagram. Pent means five. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. Now, why did God choose to birth the church at a time period of a holy day of the Jews called Pentecost. Why did he choose if we're not Jews? Why does he specify all of these things for us? There's so much about Pentecost. I'll get to some of it later. And then this is in the month Nisan, Passover, Nisan. That's our month, March, April. I want you to, I've said this before, but I want to emphasize it. Have you noticed Nisan is March, April? That's the beginning of crops. That's when crops start being harvested, March, April. That's when the barley and the wheat harvest come in. And then for seven straight months, they're harvesting crops all the way to the last month of harvest, Tishri. Tishri is our month, September, October. That's the end of the harvest. May I remind you something, September, October. This is the light where harvest is coming in. And this is the end of the harvest. This, And this has to do with the Day of Atonement. Atonement. Atonement is the word kafar. Ah, I think we've seen that before, hadn't we? On the Day of Atonement, On the Day of Atonement, one day a year, the high priest, either Aaron or one of his sons or one of his grandsons, would come to this altar here. First of all, there were prescribed sacrifices for to cleanse the inner sanctuary. Here's the table of showbread. Here's the altar of incense. Here's the seven candlesticks. And this in here is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, everything that happened in here was a ritual. That was what was blotted out, Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of rituals. It was against us. It was contrary to us. Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. May I remind you again, the law come in two parts, in the letter and the spirit. The letter was the rituals. The 
Bible does not say, when you hear preachers say, the law's done away with, it is not. Where did you guys come up with that? You mean you can go out and kill somebody and rob a bank? You can't do that. That's against God's law. You don't have to have a high priest on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day, tenth day of Tishri. He would get a fire. First of all, he would cleanse these this outer sanctuary. He would cleanse that, and then he would offer a young bullock to cleanse himself. They had offerings for everything. Then he would go to this. He had, I said this last time I preached. He would get this spoon-shaped, it looked like it was just a, it was made out of gold, made out of beaten gold, and he'd get fire from this altar and would come in. Now this is one time a year. No other time does any high priest go in here. One day a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would go in here and he would sprinkle, he would take incense from this altar of incense it had to have an exact formula if it wasn't an exact formula and one of those high priest sons of Aaron tried to offer the wrong formula he'd strike them dead on the spot it had to be exact so he'd go in here get this incense take it inside here this is what most of the historians say take it inside here before he did that, he would, they would pick out two goats. One, this, you're going to find this in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. He had escaped, they would, they would cast lots on these two goats. They would have one that they, I don't know how they cast the lots. It was like a pulling straws out or something like that, the short straw and the long straw. And the one that was the scapegoat, the word is Azazel, A-Z-A-Z-E-L. That's mentioned four times, four times in the Bible, the scapegoat. Four times. It's mentioned in Leviticus 16th chapter and it's not mentioned any other time. That was the scapegoat. Azazel was a term for Satan in the ancient world. And they would place their hands upon the scapegoat, drive him out into the wilderness. I've got a... a well, I'll give you that in a minute. And then they would take this other goat... He's the one they would they would kill and place his and put him kill him up on that altar, take his blood and put it after they had taken this incense into this inner sanctuary which was called the house of God. House of God. And the Bible says in the New Testament, Christ is the son of his own house, whose house are we. So we're the house of God now. And this Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled. In the New Testament, our hearts are sprinkled. Everything over here is a spiritual picture of what's going on in the New Testament. Then when they would get this thing clouded up, 
God says you cannot, the high priest would come in and sprinkle this Ark of the Covenant seven times. Seven times. And then after he got it all clouded up, God told the high priest, if you try to take a peek at me, I'll know when you do it. When you look up, I'll kill you right there. You're dead. You couldn't look up and see God. So after he did all this, then he would drive this. That would be, here's the amazing thing. The scapegoat, they would place their hands upon the scapegoat's heads, and this was the sins of the people. The scapegoat bore the sins of the people as driven into the wilderness. Let me read something to you. This is a book everybody needs to get. He gives you so much information on on these things. This is... The Temple, Its Ministry and Services by Alfred Edersheim. I want to read to you what they did to the scapegoat. The goat sent into the wilderness. Then a strange scene would be witnessed. The priest led the sin-burdened goat, that's the one they place their hands upon, out through Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was on the very end of the east end of the temple or the tabernacle. And they would drive him east out into the wilderness through the eastern gate which opened upon the Mount of Olives. Here an arch bridge spanned the intervening valley and over it they brought the goat to the Mount of Olives. This is a picture of Christ as well as the one being offered on the, the blood being offered on the Ark of the Covenant. Where one specifically appointed, this was a particular man was appointed, for the purpose took him in charge. Tradition enjoins that he should be a stranger, a non-Israelite. Now, I don't know why that would be as of yet, but he would have to be a Gentile that led him into the wilderness as if to make still more striking type of him who was delivered over by Israel into the Gentiles. Scripture tells us no more of the destiny of the goat that bore upon him all the iniquities of the children of Israel. We know the blood of bulls and goats don't take away a sin. They are a shadow of everything to come. Let me say one thing before I get further. The two goats, the one, the scapegoat into the wilderness and the one being offered on the altar, the two goats together were forming one sacrifice. It was like the inner and the outer man. One of them being killed and the other let go. That they shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and that he shall let go the goat in the wilderness in Leviticus 16.22. But tradition supplements this information. The distance between Jerusalem and the beginning of the wilderness is computed at 90 stadia, S-T-A-D-I-A, making precisely 10 intervals, each half 
a Sabbath day's journey from the other. At the end of each of these intervals, there was a station occupied by one or more persons detailed for the purpose who offered refreshment to the man leading the goat. It's like a man leading the sin, a Gentile. Then accompanied him to the next station. It was like stations for the goat. By this arrangement, two results were secured. Some trusted persons occupied the goat all along his journey, and yet none of them walked more than a Sabbath day's journey. That is, half a journey going and half returning. At last they reached the edge of the wilderness. Here they halted. This is a picture of Christ carrying our sins. Viewing far off, I want you to notice there's no lamb involved on the Day of Atonement. When the Bible says God has made him to be sin for us, you could say God made him a goat for us in our place. While the man led forward, the goat tore off the half the scarlet tongue. They tied a scarlet ribbon on his one of his horns and stuck it on the projecting cliff. Reminds us of the scarlet ribbon of Rahab the harlot when Joshua was going to go in there and conquer Jericho. Leading the animal, always a picture of the blood of Christ. Leading the animal backwards, he pushed it over a projecting ledge of a rock on a cliff. They wanted the goat to die in the wilderness. They didn't want him coming back. For the goat to come back, he's going to bring the sin back, and that would take us back to the 11th chapter of Luke. Now, there was a moment's pause, and the man now defiled by contact with the sin bearer. The man that's leading him away is defiled by sin. Retraced his steps to the last of the ten stations where he spent the rest of the day and night, but the arrival of the goat in the wilderness was immediately telegraphed by the waving of flags. More or less, they were saying, It is finished. The same thing Jesus said. From station to station till a few minutes after its occurrence, it was known in the temple and whispered from ear to ear that the goat had borne upon him all their iniquities into the land not inhabited. Look back over there at Luke. To a land not inhabited. The reason it wasn't inhabited, when you find a land not inhabited, there's no water there. When you go to Luke, I'm going to read this one more time. This is talking about the scapegoat. That's exactly what it's about. Luke 11. Luke 11. And you got to notice, anytime you find the word goat in the Old Testament, it's the word S-I-Y-R. 
seer when they translated seer in the Septuagint LXX the Septuagint is that's 70 there were 70 translators that you translated from Hebrew into Greek the Old Testament that's called the Septuagint when they translated the word S-I-Y-R they translated the word D A I M O N I O N. Even those two goats were called the Damonion. Those two goats. Damonion. That's what they called the goat. Goats in the Old Testament were translated Damonion into the Greek. Now, when he says here, let me substitute a word here so you can better understand this. And Jesus said, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of casting out devils by, by Beelzebub. And Jesus said in verse 20, If I with the finger of God cast out devils. What if I said, if I with the finger of God cast out the goat, cast out the scapegoat, no doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you. That word devil is demonion. If it had been written in the Hebrew, it would have been written seer. If it had been written in Hebrew. And the word finger of God, we know what he does with his finger. He writes upon fleshy tables of our heart. Notice all of the all the figurative language here. It's so figurative. If I cast out devils by the finger of God, and in Deuteronomy 9, he said, the, the law was written, that God gave to Moses, the law written on tables of stone, written with the finger of God. So anywhere you find that God puts his truth in our hearts, that's casting out devils. And we said in Mark, the first chapter, when Jesus comes upon this man that has an unclean spirit, Mark 1 is called an unclean spirit. Mark 1. It's an unclean spirit. Unclean is the word of katharos, A-K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S. It comes from the word katharizo, K-A-T-H-A-R-I-Z-O. That's our word cauterize. When you cauterize a womb, you cleanse it. The alpha in front of that means unclean. It's not cauterized. It's unclean. In Luke, the fourth chapter, the same man with the same experience, the Bible says that this man had an unclean devil. The only problem is that word devil is the word D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. It had an unclean demon. So an unclean demon and unclean spirit are the same thing. That's what you've got to keep looking at. It's the same thing. Unclean devil, unclean spirit. 
So when you see here unclean devil, let me put it this way. Let's just say, if I with the finger of God cast out Daemonion, let me put what's really there, cast out self. According to Jesus' words over here, Jesus rebuked him, A-U-T-O. It is masculine gender, but A-U-T-O is also a form of A-U-T-A-D-A. And that would be feminine gender on the end of a word. Feminine gender, A-U-T-O. That's masculine gender. That's what Jesus cast out. And then when you have A-U-T-O-U, when it's referring back to a neuter gender, then that would be self. So these are all forms of the same word. So Jesus actually cast out self out of the man. That's what he's talking about. So when you cast out self, you cast out demons. Then he says, let me read it one more time. No doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you. When do you get the kingdom of God inside of you? The Bible says in Luke 17, 20 and 21, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? He said, the kingdom of God is in you. Kingdom of God was talking about God's kingdom. How do we know what God's kingdom is? It's not even hard. Jesus was called the king of the Jews, wasn't he? Was he king of the Jews? Was he the God of the Old Testament? He said in John 8, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. And the Pharisees said, you're not 50 years old. You've seen God. He said, before Abraham was, I am. What he was saying is, I am the I am God that told Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my children go. Israel's my son, he's my firstborn. And then Moses said, what if the people ask me, what if the Israelites ask me, who is this God that sent you? He said, you tell them I am has sent me. So if Jesus was the I am of the Old Testament, and he said he was, all we have to do is show that Jesus was the king, that God was the king of the Jews in the Old Testament, don't we? If God is the king of the Jews in the Old Testament, there's only one king of the Jews, and that's Jesus. So if you look at, if you look over here at Hosea, the 13th chapter, Hosea 13. And this will tell you that Jesus is the king. King of the Jews is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus was king of the Jews long before he was born of Mary. He was king of the Jews in the Old Testament. Look at Hosea 13. Verse 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. No, this is God talking to Israel. Well, if I will be thy king, and it's the king of the Jews, that's Jesus, isn't it? Where is any other that may save thee in thy cities and the, thy judges 
of whom thou saidest, Give me a king and a prince. I gave thee a king, talking about Saul, in mine anger. Now look over here in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. First Samuel, the twelfth chapter. First Samuel twelve. This is when this is right as Saul's being anointed king of Israel. They said, Give us a king. He said, I'll give you one. It'll be from the wrong tribe, it'll be from the tribe of Benjamin. My king has to come out of Judah. Therefore, I've got to put an evil spirit in the heart of Saul. And that's what God did. And he says here in verse 12, When you saw that Nahas, the children of the king of Ammon, that's northern Jordan, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king, Israel. Well, if the Lord your God was the king of the Jews, that's Jesus, wasn't it? That's the whole point. Now go back over here to that 11th chapter of Luke. I didn't cover this really as much as I should. So kingdom of God, that was an old ancient term for Israel. I've got an article on kingdom of God. It comes out of McClellan and Strong, and it tells you that kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ, kingdom of David, kingdom of heaven are all synonymous. They're one and the same. So when you find, and why would Matthew say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Matthew, the fifth chapter, says, kingdom of heaven and Luke the 6th chapter says blessed are the poor in spirit there's the kingdom of God that's because God in heaven kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are the same thing about 200 years BC the Jews came up and said we don't want to bring reproach upon the kingdom of God so we're going to start writing kingdom of of G-D. They didn't want to put the O in there and bring reproach upon that, so they started putting kingdom of heaven. All through Matthew, this is why they say that Matthew was written to the Jewish believers was because it had kingdom of heaven all through there, and Luke and Mark have kingdom of God. Now, I, I would read a lot of this to you, but you can get this out of McClinic and Strong. You realize the treasures you get out of McClinic and Strong. You read about the kingdom of God, and it's all the same thing. Now, let's finish reading this because I want you to see this. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace. The strong man is the valiant man. That's the outer man. We know it's the outer man by the rest of the verses here. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, 
and his goods are in peace. You've got your house and your cars and your things and your stuff and your diamond rings and your money in the bank and you're home free. And when a stronger than he has come upon him, Christ, and overcomes him, every time I get to overcome, every time you see it, it's the word nikao, N-I-K-A-O. That's the word overcome. It's the verb form of nike, N-I-K-E, which is the word victory. And we know over in First John, the fifth chapter, that faith is the victory. Faith, let me try to explain this. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is death to self. The way you can overcome all the desire for all those things in the world that you want when you're young, God has to teach you through years of fire and trial that you can overcome the desire for the worldly things by dying to it. You know what keeps me from wanting the things of the world? Learning the Scripture. Learning, learn, learn. The more I learn, the less I want of the things I used to want. I don't want the things I used to want. I don't want new cars. I don't want new houses or anything. I don't want... I would be satisfied with one room with my books in it and my Bible. It doesn't take all the rest of that to make me content. Does not now. People will gripe because I have, I've been really good at real estate and buying, selling properties. Never hurt anybody. Never cheated anybody. I did a lot of very wise things in real estate. The only reason I bought the house we're in is because Mary was about to have her blood pressure was screaming up the top over that house we lived in with UPS coming and going and FedEx coming and going and people walking up the stairs and she said this place is driving me crazy I gotta get out of here she said that to me for two years finally I said okay I went out in the country and got her house out in the country it just it, she's got problems with her nerves and she can't help that now, people have griped at me over that. I can tell you the stories about my life, and you don't know nothing about it, nothing. I went broke at 40 years old, didn't have nothing. Went bankrupt. Everything you see, the church and everything else, has been a part of since I was 40. Now, let's read this. When a stronger than he, now you got the strong man in verse 21, that's self. When a stronger than self shall come upon him and overcome him, he'll get the victory over us because he puts Christ in our heart. He taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted. What's it, our armor? Your house, your stuff, your money, your job. That's your armor that you're protecting the outer man with. And divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. When the unclean spirit, that's talking about the strong man in the previous verses. When the unclean spirit or the demon, demonion, according to Jesus, there in Mark the first chapter. When the demon, demonion, 
is gone out of a man. He just said, if I with the finger of God cast out devils or cast out self. This is a picture of the scapegoat here. It's a New Testament picture of the scapegoat. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he was cast out into dry places where there's no water. There's no living water. Living water is the Holy Spirit. And the scapegoat is driven out into the desert where there's dry places. There is no water there. No living water. This is talking about when we become believers and you don't get fed real truth, real real scripture, real defined word of God and seeking rest and apostles. There's one of those words that means the Sabbath. He gets no Sabbath. And finding none, he saith, I'll return and go back to the temple of God. That's why they said that scapegoat had to die and they pushed him off the cliff out there. Don't let him get away from him. Go back to the temple of God, which temple we are, and defile this temple. He saith, I will return unto my house, which I came out of my house. That's this body. You wouldn't be able to understand this if you did not know something about the scapegoat. And when he cometh, he findeth, he comes back to this house where God has cleansed it, but he didn't find any spiritual water, which was the Holy Spirit, which was truth, out there in those desert lands. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. You get in bad shape when you go back out there. I said last time I preached, this reminds me of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, that if we don't go on under perfection, teleotes, to maturity, we end up. Teleotes. If you don't go on to maturity, it's impossible to renew you again to repentance. It's not impossible to repent. It's impossible to have brand new repentance like it was before you went off in that sin. I have had to live with that fact that I can't go back. And what I did, I put Christ to an open shame while I went out there and lived in sin as a believer. Have you done that? If you've done that, we've got to be ashamed of ourselves. Say, oh God, forgive me for that time period. That's when I was out in the music world. That's when I was out in real estate trying to get rich. That's not what this is about. Now, we're talking about the Day of Atonement. Atonement is the same word. It has the same exact meaning as baptize. The 
Day of Atonement, they came in and sprinkled. Now, sprinkle would be a better word for baptism. They sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant with the blood of the goat here. They sprinkled it of the Ark of the Covenant. Anytime you find a priest going inside of this, that's one time a year. That's the tenth day of Tishri. Nobody ever went inside that except the high priest one day a year. That's it. What about the Ark of the Covenant? That's where Jesus, who was the God of the Old Testament, would come down out of the cloud and sit down on that Ark of the Covenant. And He ruled Israel from there. And He was their husband, the Bible says, their God, and it was Jesus. Now, where was I going to go? Now, any time you find this Ark of the, this Holy of Holies being entered into, that's on the Day of Atonement. Atonement is the word kafar. Atonement and baptism have the exact same meaning. That's why baptism cannot possibly be H2O or water. Atonement is the word kafar. means to cover. It does not mean to dip. The Ark of the Covenant would be covered by the high priest that came in through the veil, that is to say his flesh. The flesh is the bread. The bread is the body. And the body is the church. And all of that's in the flesh is the, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood and you have no life in you. My flesh is meat indeed. Indeed is the word A-L-E-T-H-E-S. It means of truth. So all of this has to do with, this is very figurative terminology. You can't just look at this and not, and not have the Ark of the Covenant in mind. So kafar means to cover, and the noun form of that is kofer. It means to stain or to die. That's exactly what they did with the blood. They covered the Ark of the Covenant with the stain or the dye of the blood of the goat. And that's the picture of Christ. And baptized comes from baptizo. Baptizo and bapto. Bapto. Baptizo means to, to cover. To cover does not mean to dip. I'm sorry. If sometimes I get real cold at night and I'll say, Mary, grab that cover and cover me up. It's because I'm cold. I didn't say dip or dip me into the cover. Cover me. Pull it up here. And bapto means to stain and to die. And am I the only person that says that? No. Mr. Girdlestone, 
Robert Baker Goldstone. Girdlestone. Great scholar. He's got a book. I've got it in my library. I use it a lot. He says the word baptize had a dual meaning and it cannot possibly mean to dip into water or to sprinkle water. He says it meant to cover, to stain, and to die. He said what it was it was an infinitive or a verbal noun. See, this is what most people don't... They don't know what a verbal noun is. I know what one is. Mr. Strong will tell you in his McClinican Strong. If you look up baptize, he'll tell you. Baptize was a verbal noun. That's the way he puts it. That's called an infinitive An infinitive is a noun with verbal character. Verbal character. That's what it, it's a noun any way you look at it. Like Mr. Girdlestone says, he says that it has to do with a fluid coming from an outer subject upon the subject and staining and dying, dying it, stain and die. Let me say something here. Maybe I haven't made it clear enough. An infinitive in the English is always preceded by to be. To be baptized. That's a, that is a noun. Doesn't look like a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. If you you want to substitute something for to be, be is a form of the verb. Be is our was were being been. All those are forms of the verb to be. To be means to exist. Oh, well, you put it like that. To exist, baptized. So to be. Baptized doesn't mean the action. It means the final proceeding after the action has been taken. If I said the barn is to be painted, does that mean to paint the barn? No. After it's painted, it is painted. In fact, an infinity comes from the word infinite. Infinite means it's permanent. If I looked out there at the sky and I look at in the space and it's a clear night and I say it looks infinite out there, it looks like it goes on forever and ever. That's what infinite to us means. Once it's to be baptized, it is permanent. This is a baptism that cannot be undone. It's an infinitive. It's permanent. That's why it can't be water. You can undo water, you dry out, can't you? So, when you've got this over here, and another thing that's really interesting, atonement has, in fact, kafar can also mean to spread a village over the ground. can mean to spread a village and, and make a covering 
of houses in an area to build a village. And the really amazing thing about this, Noah, when he went into the ark, God told Noah, pitch the ark within and without with pitch. Pitch with pitch. The first word pitch is kafar. The second word pitch is kofar. Has the same meaning as atonement. And pitch was a... The pitch, some men will tell you, pitch was an asphalt in its natural state. Some say it came out of trees. Some say that it came out of the ground in a geyser. We don't know exactly which. But it was, when you look up the word kafar, it will say the color of henna. I had a lady come here one time and said, I know what henna is. I've been a hairdresser. When a woman wants her hair red, she's covered with henna. And that means, it'll tell you that in uh, under kofar, kofar. So, to pitch with pitch, the pitch of the ark was what saved Noah. It wasn't the flood. The flood was the judgment. That I've never heard anybody even look this word up over in First Peter. Look at First Peter. First Peter. And look here in in the uh, I'm not going to go through the spirits in prison. I love to teach on it. Well, I will just say this. In verse 18, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and quickened by the Spirit. That That is two statements, but it represents one thing. Put to death and quickened. Put to death, death and quickened. Quicken, C-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. One word can be represented by this death and then quickened. Resurrection. And this is the means. Resurrection, which is the gospel, which is the gospel. Then you can say the rest of that. By which... The gospel is the means by which he preached unto the Gentiles who had been in darkness for, for, from Adam until Acts 2. The Gentiles had been in darkness, been in prison. And then he says, prison, of course, Fulake, P-H-U-L-A-K-E, the division of day and night or light and darkness. Day and night. Day would represent the horizon, wouldn't it? And prohorizo is the word predestinate, predetermined for the light. Prohorizo. 
Notice how all these things will tie together. And Fulake is the division, division of dead, night, or light, and darkness. And the Gentiles were in darkness from Adam all the way till Acts 2. That's when God poured out of His Spirit upon the Gentiles. And then He says, which sometime were disobedient. The Gentiles were disobedient. Boy, I could go to something else there, but I won't. I could go into this was the mystery that was hidden through, through the ages that the Gentiles could be fellow heirs. And it was hidden from them all the way through the Old Testament. Because God told Abraham, circumcise everyone in your household, including foreigners, including Gentiles in your house, and they can be a part of this, part of this promise to you. And then he says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved. It says in the English, by water. That's not what it says. It says, dia. Through water. The water was not their salvation. The water was the judgment of God. They were saved through the water by what? By the pitch of the ark. It was a caulking. Kept the boats from sinking. They made it real thick and heavy. The ark looked like a great big red casket. That's what it looked like. It wasn't didn't look like a boat. It was it was three hundred cubits long, thirty high, and fifty wide. It was three hundred cubits. The cubit was about a foot and a half from the king's tip of his finger to the elbow. Three hundred cubits long, four hundred and fifty feet long, thirty high, forty five feet high, fifty wide, seventy five feet wide. It was a great big box floating on it looked like a casket floating on the water then he says few that his eight souls were saved through the judgment of God the pitch they weren't saved by the water they were saved through the water I don't know why they put by there because probably they didn't understand the scripture when they translated it the like figure, anti-tupon, A-N-T-I-T-U-P-O-N, A-N-T-I-T-U-P-O-N. Corresponding. Baptism doth also now save us. You think he's talking about water? The like figure, anti-tupon, A-N-T-I. A-N-T-I-T-U-P-O-N Corresponding way. The same corresponding way Baptism doth also now save us. He was saying the pitch of the ark saved them in the same way the pitch of the ark was saved. We're saved by the pitch of the blood of Christ. 
not the putting of the way of the filth of the flesh, not the killing off of the outer man. It was more than that. It was the saving of the soul as eight souls were saved. You want to know what a soul is? Suche, P-S-U-C-H-E. P-S-U-C-H-E. Remember the word sukikos? The natural man. The physical man. When you find souls, it's talking about a body with breath in it. It wasn't just spirits were saved in the ark. The like figure, corresponding way. <sighs> Baptism, not water. Blood baptism does also now save us through the judgment of God, through all that trial that people are putting us through. And not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Remember the word conscience is the word sunedosis, S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S. It means to... See it oh with we have to see with Christ the inner man that self has to die over the years. That's what saves us when he causes us to see with him. Baptism doth also not save us, not the edge, but the actual good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the inner man in our bodies. I hope you can see that. Let me give you... Did you know that word atonement is one mentioned one time in the New Testament? One time. Let me give it to you. Go over here to Romans 5.11. Romans 5. I repeat some of these things because... I've got to reset a lot of them so I just don't bring in out of the dark and say, look here. I, I reset it. Look here at Romans. Romans 11, uh, 5, 11. Romans 5. This is the only time the word atonement is mentioned. It's not the only time the Greek word is mentioned. It's the only time this word is mentioned, the English word atonement. Five and verse, let me read down to it in verse nine. Or let me read eight. But God commendeth his love towards us, that in that while we were yet sinners, talking about believers, while we were in our sin, Christ died for us. To the elect, to the believers, the predestinated family, when we were sinners. He didn't die for us when we accepted Him as our personal Savior. He died for us long before we were born. He knew who His elect were. Much more than being now justified by His blood, by a blood baptism. Justify, dikaiao, d. I-K-A-I-O-O means to render innocent 
by his blood. When it says that, it's talking about by a blood baptism, by death to self. We're called innocent. In fact, remember the word decay? Is the word right. We're rendered right. Dikaiosene is the word righteous. Now, then he says, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Wrath is the word orgay. And what we're saved from is ourself. O R G Ada. O R G E. The Ada's feminine gender. We're saved. Feminine is because Babylon was the mother of all idolatry. And that's the orgay is the anger and the wrath of a revengeful man who wants to get people back for hurting him. I'll get revenge. I'll get you for that. We're saved from ourselves. That's what salvation is about. I'm saved from Jim Brown's old self. I'm just tired of him. I can't handle what I used to be. Most people here would not like me when I was 30. You say, you're awful pushy, Brown. That's what everybody told me back then. I'm not pushy anymore. I let people do what they want. I don't believe in being pushy ever. But I used to. Has anybody ever been like that? <laughs> That's not a way to live. That is nothing but miserable. Have you ever figured out yet you can't change anybody? If the Holy Spirit wants them, He'll change them. You can't change somebody's temper or somebody's disobedience. You can't change that. You can tell them the truth, and if God wants to change them, He'll change them. And after the second admonition, leave them alone. I don't push anybody anymore, ever. I don't insist on anybody doing anything. I say, well, you'll get to go to hell for that. Okay. Goodbye. Now, then he says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Reconciled is the same word as atonement in verse 11. Reconciled is actually the verb form. When you get into reconciled is the word katalaso. You're going to get into, you have the verb form, katalaso. That's word reconciliation. A reconcile. Reconcile or reconciled. Katalage is the word reconcile reconcile or atonement this is the word reconcile here it's a verb reconcile is a verb reconciled or atonement
okay. We'd had to take time off for a phone ringing. All right. Katalage is the word reconciled or atonement. That has to do, when you reconcile something, you bring it back to where it once was. That's like you're innocent when you're a baby. Then you come to sin just like Adam came, just like Eve came to the tree. The first thing she did was eat of the tree. She looked. The first thing she did was look. Looking is what our problem is. Remember Idololatria, E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A? comes from ido, meaning to see or to look, in latruo. Everything that you look at, your body has a tendency to partake of. You got to watch out what you look at, what you see. What you put in your eyes and your ears, the Bible says your body's going to labor to fulfill it. Then, reconciled has the same basic meaning as atonement. We shall be saved by his life. We're going to be saved by the life of Christ that's in us. It's not just, I'll save saved by Jesus' life the way he lived it 2,000 years ago. No, no. You're going to be saved by his life that's in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It sounds strange to say we'll be saved by his life. Well, what does that mean? You have to go back back, and you're going to be saved by the life that Jesus lived. No, you're going to be saved by the life that he lives in you. It's God that works in you to willing to do of his good pleasure. And he's going to destroy the outer man. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, katalage. Same word as reconciliation. Now, you got this word mentioned several times. Look here in Romans 11 and 15. This is the word katalage. Romans 11. This is the common word atonement, 11.15. Talking about the Gentiles being called to God. Let's read here in verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. There's another time that's mentioned. I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulations them who is who which to them which are my flesh talking about Jews and might save some of them for if the casting away of the Jews be the reconciling of the world not everybody in the world but the cosmos the orderly arrangement of God's man Kind reconciling is the word katalaso. It is the verb form of reconciled. It's the same word as atonement. Now look here in Second Corinthians. Go to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians five. This will really help you here. 
This will straighten it out as much as anything. So the fact that we've been atoned for, we sing, Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? People don't even know what that means. Then the other song on the blood, uh, 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 I can't think of it, but it's about being washed in the blood. When we sing those songs, we don't know that's death to self. Are you washed in the blood means are you dying to the flesh? Are you dying to the outer man? Second Corinthians 5. 5. Let's start reading here in Let's start reading in verse 14. 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Constraineth is the word suneco, S-U-N-E-C-H-O. You remember S-U-N-E-C-H-O. Echo means to hold. It's a Greek word that means to hold. You can hold a book. You can hold. We think of echo as holding a sound. Echo. Hello, 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 hello. That's what we think of it. It means to hold together. Soon means together. Or it means to hold synthesized together. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if we if one die for all, then we're all dead. All the elect were dead and that he did for all that which which alive should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died and for them and rose again wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh the way we know one another now is spiritually we don't just know the outer man because we ain't going to get along with him Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more after the flesh. We know him spiritually. That's the inner man in us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new cathesis. You remember? As many as walk according to the rule of a new creation. Peace be on him and upon the Israel of God in that fifth chapter of Galatians. That's God's Israel, the one that's a new creature. When you're a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction, you're living in chaos. There's no creation to it. That same thing goes for the the whole creation groaneth. That's talking about us. We're groaning. As we're grown, whole creation groaneth in Romans 8. The whole creation, Cathesis, the the uh, vessel of wrath is not a new creation. He's a chaos. And he says, when he says, let me give you that because that's very important in Romans 8. Then you can understand this better when he says, For the creature was made subject to vanity. The creature means the new creation. 
was made subject of vanity, but not willingly. Adam was made subject of vanity, but it wasn't his will. He was made out of corrupt dust. So let's get back here to to Second Corinthians. And he says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's the outer man. But it takes a long time for those to pass away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. Reconcile means to call back to what you once were. If you can't reconcile with your ex, if you don't get along. If you reconcile, you forget all differences and you think of reconciliation being between a a husband and a wife after they separate. It's bringing back together into one. has the same idea that ransom means. You buy back. Remember the word ransom is agora. A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. It comes from agora. And agora was the marketplace. When a person has agoraphobia, that's a fear of the marketplace. That means they can't go out in public. They have a hard time mixing with people, so they stay at home all the time. We've had people, we used to have a fellow that was associated with us. He wouldn't come to church because he had agoraphobia. And so agora that's where they sold the slaves in the marketplace and when you're ransomed you're bought back in the marketplace bought back to what you once were and then he says if any man be in oh I read that all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. What if I said he gave to us the ministry of atonement? What if I said he gave us the ministry of baptism? They're all the same. Oh, wait a minute. You think that's what Jesus meant when he told the apostles, go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost? He's not talking about water there. He's talking about blood. Why would he say here in Matthew, the third chapter, John the Baptist stands on the Jordan River and he says, I baptize with water, there comes one after me, speaking of Jesus. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. The word ghost is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. Same word as spirit, fire is the word purr. A man named Zeno had started one of the most popular philosophies in the world in the first century. Well, he actually started around 320 B.C. A man named Zeno, Z-E-N-O. And he started Stoicism. Stoicism. Well, he said that all the universe, all those stars out there, he said it was all one living, breathing entity. And he called all of this this universe a cosmos. That's the same word in John 3.16 for world. 
it means orderly arrangement, but it is masculine gender. And he says, and that was a common understood word that was stoicism. And John the Baptist says, what gave all of this cosmos life, Mr. Zeno said, was Numa and Pur. When John the Baptist said that, everybody listening knew what that meant. Life. Well, why would John the Baptist say, I've got a water baptism, and this one that comes after me, Jesus, he'll baptize you with life. Why would, why would Jesus go all through his life? He would preach, he would go in the fourth chapter of Matthew into the wilderness and, and fast for 40 days. Then he would go into his first message in 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And then he would go and preach to the Pharisees till they killed him. And he resurrects from the dead. And then he goes to the... I've said this so many times, I, I can't say it enough. Then he goes to the apostles in Galilee, and, he, and he, when he goes to them, he says, Go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing those people in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. But use my water baptism. You know that when John said, I had, you can forget that. Why would he say, Go baptize in water when he had one of his own? He wouldn't, would he? I don't know why anybody else has never thought of that. Besides that, that word in, in the 28 chapters, the word E-I-S, ice, it means into. It doesn't mean to come out of. It just means baptizing them into. That's the same thing as Galatians 3.27. As many who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Put on. In duo means to sink into clothing. And the clothing we sink into is the blood of Christ. That's the clothing. You know what the clothing is? Death to self. That's a blood baptism. Everything has to do about this system dying. When you're young, it's awful hard to understand death to self because you got so many juices flowing through your body. I got to do this and this and this and this, and I got to get her and him, and, and I got that car, and I got this house, and I got to get all the things I want. And then when you get old, you're saying, Boy, none of that mattered. It just doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to me is the truth. I got a few years to preach it if I've got that many. And I feel like I can't say enough about the truth. Now, so, and then he says, he's given to us the ministry of baptism. Reconciliation and atonement are the same word. So we, when you see reconciliation, reconciled, it, it can be atonement, kafar or kofar. To it, or this is it, that is to say that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not just everybody in the world, world, cosmos, those that are part of the orderly arrangement. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Jesus died for our sin. 
and he's not going to impute them. Impute is the word logizomai. L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Logizomai means to assign or to consider your sins are upon yourself. What happens if we sin after he, after we're saved? Well, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. God's going to have to beat you with an inch of your life. As he beat me. Oh, like you wouldn't believe. When I was, when I was 30, 28, 30, 31, 32, I was a basket case. Y'all wouldn't even want to be around me then. I was going, oh, I can't get what I want. I can't get what I want. I want these things. I want fame and fortune. I want money. You ever been like that? Huh? <laughs> you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I'm ashamed of myself for being an idiot. And I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's John MacArthur. He's made of the same stuff that I'm made of. The Bible says so. I don't care what preacher it is. I know what's in your heart. You know how I know? There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. I'm a man. God has beat me so bad I've owned up what's in my heart. So I know what's in yours. If it's common to all of us, all I have to do is admit what I've got, and I know what you've got. Can you see that? Nobody is as innocent as they look. Nobody. It's just... The, the more innocent a person looks, the more guilty they are. I never trust people that are real nicey-nice, real nice Christians that they love Jesus with all their heart. I just want you to get out of my face. You're not miserable like the rest of us. You can put your, you can bet your money on that and take that to the bank. When you run across somebody like that, they're phony. Have you figured that out yet? No, nobody's as nice as they look. Nobody. Boy, that's hard to get a hold of, isn't it? I just wanted to keep telling you all about these. It even talks about a man reconciling himself to his wife in 1 Corinthians 7 and 11. In Second Corinthians, or in First Corinthians, seven eleven is talking about a man and woman reconciling, getting back together. So, if reconcile means to atone or to ransom back to what you once were, that's because you started off innocent, and as soon as you got to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you ate, and it killed you, and it, you died spiritually. And that's our, that's that outer man that we all we all wrestle with. How much time, do I have any time, Mike? Two. Two minutes. Baptize is death to self. It all is death. Everything spiritual is death to self. That's what makes you sad. You look at the world out here. There's no dying. And you're saying, am I the only one? I have people call me all the time saying, I'm really sad. Is something wrong with me? I say, no, you're just right. 
If you'll come here and visit us, you'll find a whole group of people. They're all sad because the world is the way it is. I had a guy call me yesterday. He said, is something wrong with me? I'm just weary and I'm sad and I'm sorrowful at the world. I said, no, that's exactly what you're supposed to be. How, how can we be anything than what, anything other than what we are? We can. I'm going to try to stay on this about us being spiritual Israel because there's so much to it. There's more. It's everywhere in the Bible. Let's pray. Let's go Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for the people that are here and that love this truth. Give them strength while they go through this agony that they're in. You said we have to agonize going through this narrow way. Teach us how to be strong with each other, with fellowship with each other. God will praise you for everything. Fight our battles. We've got so many we don't know how to fight. Help the people understand they don't need to be fighting their battles. Just rely upon you. And you'll win whenever you want to win. It won't be in our time. It'll be in your time. Thank you for everything. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Isn't it amazing how... I didn't understand how eight soldiers saved through water for the longest time till I looked up the words. They were saved by the blood, by the pitch of the ark. That's what kept the boats from sinking. It's actually simpler than people realize. I've done a lot of study on the pitch. You can go into a lot of books on pitch.